0: Well, today we are wrapping up our series called Fear Not, where we've been taking the last couple of weeks to look at three different times in the Christmas story where angels come, they appear to people in the Christmas story, and they go, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Oh, wait, no, that's Santa Claus that says that. No, what what did the angels say? They said what? Fear Not, not. right. That's exactly why we called this series Fear Not. It's amazing how those things sort of go together like that. Now, they, they come and they say Fear Not. We looked in week one, the angels appear to Mary. She's a virgin. She's pregnant with child. And they come and they say to her, Mary, fear not. We learned that, you know, sometimes God's going to ask us to do things that's going to make us a little bit uncomfortable. And we should fear not. Then last week, we looked at the angels coming to Joseph. And Joseph, he has this fiance who's pregnant. It's not even his child. And he's thinking, what should I do here? Should I go ahead and marry her or not? I mean, this is so weird. But the angels say, fear not. And We looked at the fear that we sometimes have of like, you know, what are people going to think about me if I go ahead and do what it is that God's calling me to do? Today, as we wrap up the series, I want to look at the story of the shepherds and a fear that I believe is pretty common to a lot of people. Let me explain it to you this way. I've shared this story a little bit in the past. When I was in the fourth grade, my best friend, who lived just a couple houses down, was tragically killed one Sunday afternoon. He and his dad were outside. They were doing firewood, and his dad was uh, took the chainsaw and was sawing down the tree, and it fell the wrong way, and it crushed my friend Frankie, and one of the limbs, actually, that they had already chopped off, it sort of pierced his body, and he died, and, you know, that, that was pretty tough for me. I'm again in the, the fourth grade, and the part that I shared with you in the past was he died at 9.08 p.m., and I really blamed myself as a child because. I was supposed to have done something with him that day, but then my parents, last minute, we had something else to do, and I thought, you know what, if I would have been there, he wouldn't have been out with his dad, and so it's all my fault. And what would happen is my bedtime was 9 o'clock, and I'd get in the bed, and at nine 8 I'd stay, and I'd wait until the clock got to 9.08, and I'd hold my breath trying to die. But here's the part I didn't share. I didn't know what would happen to me if I did. I was trying to die, but I wasn't sure what would happen. And it caused me to be fearful of it. Because, you know, the only thing I knew about death at that point as a child was a a prayer that my parents had taught me to pray before I went to bed. Maybe your parents taught you this prayer as well. It goes like this. If you know it, you can say it along. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, if you think about it, that's not the most cheery way to send your kid off the bed. I mean, I much would have rather them like having to do like good night, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. I mean, you know, at least bed bugs, I could get over those, but death? What am I going to do if I die? Think about that last line. It says, if I die before I wake, I pray to the Lord my soul to take as I thought about that as a fourth grader, I was like, wait, I'm praying that the Lord would take my soul, which means that maybe he won't take my soul. What's going to happen to me? And I was afraid. The other thing was, you know, I went to church as a child. I didn't pay much attention, but I at least was there. And I remember the pastor saying that one day Jesus is going to return again in the clouds. I had no idea what that meant. But you know, during the summertime, how like, especially like at sunset, how the, the clouds in the sky will get all kinds of colors, red and, and oranges and yellows and, and sometimes some purplish colors and stuff. I figured if Jesus is coming again, it's going to look weird when he comes. And so when all these clouds start to do this, I'm like looking going, is this it? Is Jesus coming? And again, I was fearful. What's going to happen to me if he comes again or if I die? Now, eventually, I figured it all out, and today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt what's going to happen to me when I die, and I have a complete sense of peace about that, but my guess is that there's probably some of you here today and some of you listening via podcast today that you don't know. You still have that fear of what happens to me when I die. Am I in right standing with God? Have I been good enough? Will I one day go to heaven? That's what I want to talk about today, because we can start to answer those questions as we look at the story of the shepherds found in Luke chapter 2. So if you've got a Bible, you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, uh, that'd be great. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Every scripture we're going to look at today is there in your outline that you received as you walked in. All the scriptures will be on the screen behind me. And also, if you have a smartphone, if you want to pull it out, download the YouVersion app and you can follow along with all the scriptures there as well. So Luke 2. Starting with verse 8, says this. That night, meaning the night that Jesus was born, that night in the fields near Bethlehem, some shepherds were guarding their sheep. All at once, an angel came down to them from the Lord, and the brightness of the Lord's glory flashed around them. The shepherds were frightened, but the angel said, what? The angel said, fear not. I have good news for you, which will make everyone happy. This very day in King David's hometown, a Savior was born for you. He is Christ the Lord. And you'll know who he is when you find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth and lying in a bed of hay. So the angels come and they're like, hey, we've got some really good news for you. A Savior has been born. Now the first question we have is, well, what in the world is a Savior? Well, Savior is somebody that comes to save. Now you're going, okay, but save from what? I mean, what do we need to be saved from and who qualifies to be saved? Well, God starts to answer that very question in the mere fact that he gives this good news to shepherds. Let me explain it to you this way. Today, when a baby is born, what's the very first thing parents do? What's the first thing dad does as soon as the, parent, or as soon as the baby's born? What's he do? He pulls out a cell phone, right? He snaps a couple pictures, and he posts it on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter. Why? What you're doing is you're announcing to the world what? The baby's been born. That's how we do it today. Historically in America, what you did was you had a baby and you submitted it into the newspaper, a birth announcement, exclaiming to the whole community that, look, our child has been born. Well, they didn't have that technology back when Jesus was born. They didn't have the printing press and newspapers. So what they would do is they would hire, if you had enough money, what was called a herald to proclaim it. A herald's like those guys you see them like in the, in the movies, you know, and they, you know, with the little trumpet thing, and they go, hear ye, hear ye. Right? You know what I'm talking about? That's a herald. And they would exclaim to the community that, look, this, this child has been born. This was especially important if it was the firstborn child, a male child. In ancient Israel and in Jewish culture, the firstborn male, was like, oh, I mean, this was like a big deal. Because what this was exclaiming to everybody is, look, God's hand of blessing is on this family. God wants another generation of this family to continue on. So it was a big, big deal. And so that's sort of what God is doing here with the angels. He's sort of hired them as heralds to, hey, go down and exclaim, that, hey, Jesus! He's been born. God has been born. Emmanuel, God with us. He is now here. Now, I want you to stop and think about it for a second. If you're in charge of making sure that the birth announcement of God has come to the world, who would you make sure you would pronounce that to? What types of people? Like like big shots, right? Presidents and kings, and since this is a a spiritual birth, we would announce it to pastors and to to priests. That's not what God does. He doesn't announce it to a who's who of the day. He announces it to the most despised people of the day, the shepherds. You see, shepherds were very disrespected. Shepherds were usually servants or slaves. If a family couldn't afford a shepherd, they would have their youngest son, the most disrespected son of the family. He would be the little shepherd boy that would go out and do that kind of work. Shepherds were uneducated. They were poor. They had no hope for career advancements. You know, shepherds were rejected from a spiritual standpoint. They weren't able to to do all the things that the law required them to do. And so the, the priests of the day and, and the religious leaders of the day, they would look down their noses at the shepherds that you're not one of us. You are rejected by God. You can't follow all the religious rules, so you don't even, you don't even qualify. You don't even qualify to be a part of God's family. And so is it any wonder that the shepherds ask this same question that many of us ask, and that is, where do I stand with God? What would happen to me if I die? Am I going to go to heaven? Really, if you think about it, the, the shepherds had three primary feelings. I put them there on your outline. The first one is this. The shepherds felt unworthy. Again, they were outcasts. They were taught that they weren't good enough. You're not good enough for our religion. You're not good enough for our God. And a part of the reason for that is, you know, shepherds were nomads. They, they traveled around with their flocks and their herds. They were on the road days, weeks, maybe even sometimes months at a time. Sort of like truck drivers today, you know, some long-haul truck drivers. They, they leave and they go out and they're gone for weeks. That's what it was like for the shepherds. But The law said that, you know what, there's certain things you need to do in your synagogue. There's certain things you need to do at the temple area. And they couldn't do it because they were on the road. And so since they couldn't follow all the law, they were declared to be spiritually and unceremonially unclean. You're unclean. And then if you think about it, physically they were unclean too, right? I mean, hang out with some sheep for a while. Day after day after day after day. They didn't have deodorant. They didn't have showers. They were sheep. They're dirty. They're, they're smelly. And so, physically, they're unclean. And so, when it came to shepherds, you, you didn't even touch a shepherd. Because if they're spiritually unclean, the law said that if you touch somebody, it's unclean. You become unclean. And then, physically, they're unclean. So, you didn't want to touch them. You didn't want to get all that sheep stuff all over you. you know? So shepherds, they feel very, very unworthy. People wanted nothing to do with them. You know, I I think if some of you are being honest here this morning, you would admit maybe the same thing. That you feel unclean. You you know you haven't been perfect. You you know you haven't lived a, a perfect life. You've done some bad things. And you're saying, I think I'm probably spiritually unclean. I'm not worthy of God loving and, and wanting a relationship with someone like me. Number two, then, the, the shepherds felt inadequate. They were uneducated, so they never quite felt that they could measure up to other people. When they, they looked around and they compared themselves to others, they were like, you know what? Not as smart as that person I don't have as much money as that person over there. I'm not as spiritual as that person over there. Not as good looking as that one. Not as physically active as that one. They just, they couldn't compare. And I think we make the same mistake as well. We look around many times and we're like, you know what, i just not as good as that person. I don't have what they have. I can't do what they do. And so we start to feel inadequate. And, you know, this type of thing happens especially this time of year. Ladies, you know, you go over to your friend's house, and you go in, and it's perfectly clean. And she's got the big old tree up and all the the fancy decorations everywhere. And her kids, all their their hair is combed. And, and, you know, they got their little Christmas outfits on. And their little precious perfects, I mean, they're, they're not even making a peep. And the house, it smells like freshly baked cookies. And you're like thinking, my house smells like dirty laundry. <laughs> you got your little Charlie Brown Christmas tree up in the corner. You're thinking, I don't even have time to bake. I mean, I'm just glad I didn't kill my kids this week. <laughs> and so you start to compare yourself to other people and you're feeling very, very inadequate. Or guys, we do the same thing, right? We, we walk out and we look over at our neighbor's house and they've got like, the whole, like, big lawn decorations and the, the lights and the time to the music and stuff that would make, like, Trans-Siberian Orchestra look like they're nothing. I mean, it's just, like, going all over the place, you know, and it's like, whoa, and you haven't even put anything out. <laughs> and, you know, your, your spouse and your kids are saying, Dad, you know, why don't we have lights like they do? And so you lie. You say, well, it's because we're more spiritual than they are. You know, think of all the the money that they spend on those decorations and on the electricity for all that. We love Jesus, so we're taking that money that we saved and we're giving it to needy kids in Africa. It's a lie. It's a lie. You're not really doing that, but you feel inadequate as compared to someone else. Even worse is when we start to compare ourselves spiritually to other people and compare you ever done that before that you're you're with someone and there's a bad situation going on of some sort and they like have the perfect scripture that they pull out and they like, they have it like memorized and it's like not like the scriptures that everybody knows it's like from some obscure passage of the bible some book right and not only did they know it but they quoted it and you're like I didn't even know that was a book of the bible much less being able to quote that or you, you know it's like When they pray, it's like the glory of God descends. And it's like these very powerful, powerful prayers. And you're like, any time I pray, it's like pitiful prayers, right? Not powerful prayers. And then you stop and you think, when was the last time I even prayed? And you're like, oh, I remember. It was on Black Friday. I was like, God, help me not to kill anybody that gets in my way of a good deal or somebody who tries to steal my parking spot in front of the mall. And so you start comparing yourself to other people and you're like, oh, man, I am so inadequate here, not like other people. Shepherds felt that way. They felt unworthy. They felt inadequate. Number three, the shepherds felt unloved. Now, here's the sad truth. Most shepherds in that day, because they were so poor, they were thieves. And if you weren't a thief, you were thought to be a thief because shepherds were thieves. They weren't to be trusted. In fact, shepherds weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law. That's how untrusted they were. You know, I'm sure shepherds, they wanted to get married, have a family one day, but think about it. What dad's going to say, yeah, I'm going to bless a marriage to you, shepherd boy. You're uneducated. You're poor. You stink. Shepherds felt very very unloved and tragically many people in our society feel the same way you know maybe you're here today and your mom or your dad deserted you when you were a child or maybe you're here today and your spouse cheated on you or they walked out on you and you're thinking what did I do to deserve this why can't people love somebody like me Or maybe you look in the mirror and you don't even love yourself and you think, you know what, if I can't love me and if other people can't love me, how in the world would a holy God ever love somebody like me? Why would God want to have a relationship with me? But here's what we need to understand. There's a huge difference between perception and reality. You see, our perception, especially as you come into a church on a Christmas Sunday morning and you look around and everybody's, you know, looking good and stuff, and you're like thinking, you know what, I bet everybody in here has it together. I bet they're successful. I bet they got their marriages together. I bet they got their finances together. I bet they they have their relationship with God where it needs to be. And so our perception is everybody else has got it together, and I don't. And I'm unworthy. I'm inadequate. I'm unloved. But again, perception is way different than reality. See, the reality is the person that's sitting in front of you, maybe their marriage is falling apart. Oh, yeah, they look good this morning. It looks like everything's fine, but maybe their marriage is falling apart. The person sitting a couple seats down from you, yeah, maybe they have nice clothes on today, but maybe the reality is financially, they're really stressed out. They're not even sure how they're going to pay their bills this month. The person sitting behind you you know maybe maybe it looks like they they've got it all together and they're they're happy and they've got joy but the truth is it's a single man or a single woman and this Christmas they're going you know what all my friends they're married I'm not married what's wrong with me why wouldn't people love me or you look at somebody and Maybe they were singing along or clapping along or even raising their hands to the songs earlier and you're thinking, man, they must really have it together spiritually. But you don't know, that could have all just been an act. Maybe they don't have it together spiritually. See, perception and reality are way different. And the reality is this, all of us are hurting in some way. All of us are carrying some sort of burden. All of us at some point in the past have have felt shame for the things that we're currently doing or we've done in the past. That's reality. There is no one here today that is perfect, myself included. No one. Nobody has it all together. And that's the power of coming together as a, a church family, is that we're better together that we can help one another and pray for one another, encourage one another. Guess what I'm really trying to get you to see here today is these shepherds, they felt unworthy, they felt inadequate, they they felt unloved, and the religious system of their day let them down. Religion did not work for them. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. Religion won't work for you either. You're going, whoa, aren't you a pastor? What do you mean religion won't work for me? What kind of weird cult did I stumble upon here today? Listen, it's not a cult. The good news of Christmas is this, that God himself was born as a baby. We call him Jesus. And Jesus came not to start a new religion. In fact, he came to do away with religion. He came to give us something so much better than religion. You see, religion is about what can you do? It's about following a bunch of rules. And the reality is, none of us can follow all the rules. And that puts us in big trouble. Because if we've sinned, if we've not been able to follow the rules, then where do I stand with God? If I've messed up, if I haven't been perfect. Jesus came. Jesus came. To answer that question for us again religion doesn't free us religion just traps us because religion is about do this and don't do that and here's the thing anytime you make that your life about well I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that you're going to start to compare yourself to other people that I'm doing it better than they are oh yeah look look at them look at what they're doing over there That was the problem of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. The group called the Pharisees, the the so-called religious leaders, they were looking down their noses at anybody that wasn't following all the law. And Jesus basically said, you know what? That makes me want to puke. Paraphrasing a little bit. (laughs) He wasn't happy with it. He's like... Guys, no. No, this, this doesn't work. This just doesn't work. Comparing yourself one to another. He says, look, you're so focused on like conforming the outside of, of looking the part of being a Christian. He says, you're so worried about the outside, you haven't even thought about what's going on inside. Things like lost in pride and greed. Oh, sure, on the outside, you look good, but inside, you're rotten to the core. And Jesus used this analogy. He said, look, when you're cleaning a cup, sure, you need to clean the outside of the cup, but he's like, it's the inside of the cup that's most important that you clean out. And that's what he's trying to communicate to us. It's not just about conforming to a bunch of rules. That's not what he's looking for. He wants us to be transformed from the inside out. And that doesn't happen because you follow all the rules. It only happens because of what we celebrate today, that God himself was born into the earth. You're saying, okay, well, what's that have to do with with me? What's that have to do with 2015 and and my life coming up in 2016? That's a great question. And there's a guy by the name of Paul in the Bible that actually explains this very succinctly in just a couple verses. Now, before I actually read these things to you, let me tell you about Paul. After Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, and and Christianity formally gets its start, not as a religion. We'll talk about what it is in just a second. When Christianity gets its start, guess who wasn't happy about it? Who wasn't happy was the religious leaders of the day the people who it was all about following the rules. Now there's this new thing that we're supposed to be doing. They're like, no, 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 we've done this other thing for years. We've never done it that way before. So they're not happy. And they start killing Christians. One of the guys that's killing Christians is this guy by the name of Paul. Actually, his name was Saul at the time, but later becomes Paul. Saul hated Christians. Why? Because he grew up in a very religious Jewish household He had been taught all the law. He was following all the law. He said, when it came to righteousness, when it came to being a Pharisee, I was the Pharisee of all Pharisees, he says. He's killing Christians. He's ordering the execution of Christians. And one day he's on his horse. He's riding to the city of Damascus. And he has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And it's in that moment that he is so gripped by the love and the grace and the mercy of God, that he changes. and He starts this relationship with Jesus that he's transformed from the inside out, and he goes from being the biggest killer of Christians to being probably the biggest and greatest representative of Jesus that's ever lived. He devotes the rest of his life to traveling around the then-known world, sharing this good news that Jesus died and he rose again. And Paul goes on and he writes 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. In one of those books, it's called the Book of Romans. It's to the letter that he wrote to the church that he had started in the city of Rome. He writes this, Romans 3, 20 to 22. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us the way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. In just those couple verses, Paul gives us three things that is extremely good news here on this Christmas morning. First one is this. I cannot earn God's acceptance by observing the law. Listen, you could never, ever be good enough to satisfy all that the law commands. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the law, it's 613 commands. 613 commands that that God says that the nation of Israel was supposed to be living out. You can't keep all 613. It's impossible. You can't do it. Shepherds couldn't do it. I mean, just even their, their job, being on the road. They, they couldn't go into to the temple. They couldn't go into the synagogue, do all the things. Just the mere fact of their job meant that they were breaking the commands. And so the good news that's found here that Paul writes is in verse 20. He says, no one can be made right by doing what the law commands. That's good news, that you can't be made right by following everything. You're going, okay, well, then what's the law for? Why, why did God give commands? That's the second thing I put on your outline. The purpose of the law is to show that I need a Savior. Again, in verse 20, it says this, the law shows us how sinful we are. That's why we have the law, just to simply show us how sinful we are and that something needs to be done about our sinfulness. Paul goes on in the the next verse in verse 23 to say, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. I don't think there's anybody sitting here today or listening via the podcast that's going to say, you know what? I've lived a perfect, perfect life. I've never once done anything wrong that would have been disobedient to God. Anybody want to make that claim that you've been perfect? No. No one's been perfect. But yet God gives us in his word that, look, if you want to get into heaven on the the good works plan about how good you've been, here's what you need to do. Be perfect as your heavenly Father has been perfect. Let me say that again. If your plan to get to heaven is because of how good you've been, the way you do that is by being perfect. Not just from today on, but all your life. Again, anybody think that you deserve heaven? None of us do. None of us do. Why? Because we haven't been perfect. Here's the problem, though. While all of you are nodding your head saying, yeah, you're right, I haven't been perfect, most of us at least think this. We go, but I'm basically a good person. Oh, sure, I, I, I'm not perfect, but I've been good enough. Again, how good would you have to be? God says perfect. You haven't been that perfect. You still don't believe me. Let me do it this way. 613 commands in the Old Testament. We can summarize that in the the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. Let me just give you three of them. Be honest with me this morning. One of the commands is that you shouldn't lie. How many of you ever told a lie before? Put your hand up nice and high. How many of you ever told a lie before? If your hand's not up, you're a liar, and you just lied. All right. Okay. So you broke that command. How many of you ever stolen something before? Maybe like at a store or from your mom, a dad, a friend, an idea that you took from somebody. You've, you've stolen something, okay? Now, put your hands down. Don't put your hand up on this next one because I don't want you to get in trouble, but you can sort of give me like a, like a <laughs> index finger or you can give me a wink or a, like a little nod or something like that. But uh, how many of you have ever had a lustful thought about somebody that's not your spouse? All right, a lustful thought about somebody... That's not your spouse. Jesus says that if you've ever had lust in your heart, that's like committing adultery. You've, you've already committed adultery. So with that being said, I think we've all sort of admitted to that, uh, all three of those things. A liar, or a, a person that tells a lie, I just gave away the answer. A person that tells a lie is called a what? A liar, right. Somebody that steals something is called a? A thief, right. And somebody that commits adultery is called an adulterer. By your own admission, you are a lying, thieving adulterer. Welcome to ExponentialChurch.tv. <laughs> that's our new slogan. <laughs> Come to ExponentialChurch.tv, a church full of lying, thieving adulterers. <laughs> Guess that's why our slogan is, no perfect people allowed, right? Right? <laughs> Look, you just admitted that you couldn't keep three of the commandments, much less ten, much less 613. You still don't believe me. If you only committed three sins a day, you'd be pretty good. But let's do the math. Three sins a day is 21 sins in a week. That's a little over 1,000 sins in a year. The average person now lives to be 78 years old. That's 78,000 sins. Are you really going to stand before a righteous and perfect and holy God and say, God, look, I only messed up 78,000 times. You should let me into your perfect heaven. No. Paul says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the purpose of the law is to show that I need a Savior Somebody that will save me from my sins. And see, this is why religion doesn't work. Because religion is all about what can you do to be right with God. I think I just hopefully explained to you pretty clearly that you can't do anything to be right with God. And so that's why Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship. Because it's not about what you can do, it's about what's already been done for you. And that brings us to the next point that I'll only be made right with God when I trust in Jesus alone for my salvation. You see, Jesus wasn't just a little ordinary baby, He was actually God in the flesh. God said, I so want a relationship with my creation, with humanity that I myself am going to be born into their world and I'm going to live the perfect and sinless life that they can't live and then I'm going to die on a cross shedding my blood so that their sins could be forgiven. See, the Bible makes it clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That something has to be sacrificed for your sin. Somebody has to pay the penalty for your sin. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then guess who, what? It's going to be you. That you're going to be the one that pays the penalty. And you know what the penalty is? It's eternal separation from God in a very real place called hell. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came to die in your place so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you can be made right in the eyes of God. Often liken it to a a book, you know, your life. And some of you heard me do this illustration before, but bear with me because it's just so powerful. That if this is the book of your life, and the first page is your birth certificate, and the last page is your death certificate, Everything that's in between, the the good, the bad, and the ugly, including your sin, is there. And we're all going to stand before God one day. And again, unless we've been perfect, we can't enter into heaven. And so he's going to look and see the good, the bad, and the ugly, the sin. And if there's any sin in the record book of your life, you deserve hell. But the good news of what we celebrate today is, again, that Jesus didn't remain a baby. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He died on the cross. He spent three days in the tomb. What was he doing during those three days? He was making atonement. He was making the, the sacrifice for your sin. He went through the record book of everybody who has ever lived before his time, during his time, after his time. And he said, there's the record book of their life. and. There's good, up there's sin, and he took his blood, and he blots it out, and he keeps going through the book, and he sees there's good stuff, up there's more sin. He takes his blood, and he smears it over all of your sin so that it can be seen no more. So that when you die and you stand before God and he opens up the record book of your life, he starts going through and all he sees is good stuff and blood, good stuff and blood, good stuff and blood. God doesn't see any wrong anymore. What does that make you in God's sight? What's it make you? Perfect. Makes you perfect. And God will say, come, enter in to your master's happiness. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus already did for you. You cannot be good enough. You can't do good. You just can't. Jesus was your perfection. Jesus was your righteousness. Jesus did good because you can. That's why we're here today. To celebrate that. Here's the deal. Just because Jesus did it doesn't make it automatic for you in life. It isn't a, well, Jesus died, so now everybody goes to heaven. That isn't how it works. Because if that's the way, you'd just be a little robot. For there to be true love, there has to be the freedom to choose. And so you have to to choose to receive this gift of salvation that Jesus offers you. Sort of like this Friday as you celebrate Christmas, you're going to get together with family and friends and there's going to be some gifts for you. What's not really your gift until you reach out and you receive the gift for yourself. If not, it's just sitting there. It's still wrapped. It's not yours. You don't know the joy of what's inside until you receive it and you open it up for yourself. And so you're only going to be right with God when you trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. That you come to the place in life where you're like, okay, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I haven't been perfect. And I can't do enough good stuff to earn your grace and your forgiveness. So the only thing I know to do is to trust that your son Jesus died in my place. And in faith, I'm receiving that into my life. See, it's not Jesus plus you come to church on Sunday. It's not Jesus plus you put money in the offering buckets. It's not Jesus plus you try to do a bunch of good stuff. No, it's Jesus plus zero equals salvation. Jesus plus zero equals heaven. Jesus plus zero equals a brand new start for you here on this earth. Jesus and Jesus alone is what saves. That's good news. The angels appeared to the shepherds. These guys that were wondering, where do I stand with God? And they said, fear not. For unto you this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he's going to save you from all of your sins. And I want to say the exact same thing to you. You don't have to fear where you stand with God. If you'll simply trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. Are you good enough? No, but Jesus was. And the greatest gift you can receive this Christmas is the gift of eternal life and the gift of a a brand new fresh start here on the earth. Let me remind you again of what Paul says in Romans 3.22. He says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. And that's the good news of this Christmas, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done in your past, God wants to forgive you. Why? Because born to us this day in the city of David is a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together today to celebrate your birth and to look once again at a story where the angels appear and and tell those involved, fear not. And Lord, I pray that your spirit this morning has been speaking to each and every person that's sitting here today or listening via this podcast and saying, fear not where you stand with God because your salvation was bought at a price, a very costly price, the blood of the very Son of God. Jesus, we know that we haven't been perfect. We know that we don't deserve your salvation, but yet you did that for us anyway because you love us so much. And so we thank you that you did for us what we can't do, and that is live a perfect and sinless life. And you died so that we may have eternal life with you and a brand new life right here and right now. With every head bowed, every eye closed here this morning, if you're saying, you know what, Gilbert, I've, I've never actually asked Jesus to forgive me my sin, I, I've never put my faith and trust in him and in him alone for my eternal life. And I want to know today that if I were to die, that I will spend eternity in heaven. And so, Gilbert, would you just simply pray for me here today that Jesus would forgive me and give me that fresh start? If that's true of you today, would you raise your hand up nice and high so I can see it? I'm not going to embarrass you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yep, you can put your hands down. Anybody else? Yep, over here. Yep, thank you. Anybody else? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Right here, I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my life. I need your forgiveness. I need your salvation. I'm tired of living life my way. I want to do life for you. I'm trusting in you alone. Anyone else? I'm going to ask everybody here this morning, still head bowed and eyes closed, just repeat this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus. thank you for coming to the earth as a little baby, as one of us. And thank you that you didn't remain a baby, but you grew up and lived a perfect and sinless life and then died on the cross so my sins could be forgiven. I haven't been perfect, but you were. You died in my place. So I, can be so I can be forgiven. And so I reach out. And, so I, reach out. and I accept. And I, accept. And, I and I receive. That gift of salvation. Gift of salvation. Right, here. Right, here. right here. Right now. Right now. This, morning. this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you did that. And that you have. Right now saved. Those who have been humble. Humble. Submission and admission. Ask for your leadership and and your guidance. But Lord, we know that you want more than just salvation for us. You want to give us a brand new life. You want us to submit to the voice of your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that for each and every person this morning that has prayed that prayer and asked for your forgiveness, that they would realize that it's also asking for your leadership and saying, God, it's not about me anymore but now my life is all about you. The old me died. The new me has come alive. And now, Jesus, I'm going to obey, and I'm going to do a bunch of stuff for you, not because I'm trying to be saved, but out of gratitude that I am saved. Lord, we thank you that we do get to to try to live holy and righteous lives. We do try to to follow the law and your commands because it's the best way to live. But we're not depending on that for our salvation. You and you alone accomplish that. Now we're living that way because, again, it's the best way to live and because it's the best way to show other people who you are and the good news of what you did for us. So thank you that we get to be your hands and your feet and your mouth to the people of this world. Help us to walk obediently each and every day, following the voice and the guidance of your Holy Spirit. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, can we give those that made a decision to follow Jesus here today a big hand? So awesome. Congratulations to you. Do us a favor. If you were one of the people that prayed that prayer this morning, that on the back of your connection card, there's a little box there that you can check off that says today, I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and to be the leader of my life. And we want to send you a package of information this week that will just help you to take some next steps in your journey with God. And so if you'll make sure that's filled out, make sure uh, we legibly have your email address. We'll get that out to you here in the next day or two.